Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Remember when the Supreme Court voted 8 to 1 that Donald Trump couldn't block the January 6th committee from getting documents. The one vote against the other eight, that'd be Clarence Thomas. Um, Remember when Mark Meadows, before he sued the January 6th committee, initially cooperated and gave them a treasure trove of his text messages, indeed a, a binders full of smoking guns? Well, those two events came together today. Because Mark Meadows turned over texts, of course. We've already heard a lot of details from them. And Donald Trump hates him more than he hated him last month. And that's a lot. But now Mark Meadows has turned over texts from Justice Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, urging him to do anything he could do to overturn the election. Ginny Thomas planned the insurrection, attended the insurrection on January 6th. And her husband was the only justice to oppose releasing January 6th-related documents to the committee looking into the terrorist attack on our Capitol. And I choose the word terrorism like, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty groundedly. Terrorism does mean uh, using violence or the threat of violence against government officials or civilians to change policy. So yeah, it was terrorism. Um, now, I know some of you might be shocked that a person who would actually marry Clarence Thomas and and share a marital life with him might have poor judgment. But this is the sort of thing that could be huge if we have an attorney general. And if we can find Merrick Garland, I want someone to tell him about this. Um, You knew after the Anita Hill voicemail Ginny Thomas left a few years ago, where she demanded the woman her husband harassed to apologize to him. Uh, But it turns out, guys, that was as good as it got. She's much crazier than we thought. Virginia Thomas repeatedly as a conservative activist, married to a Supreme Court justice. By the way, Clarence Thomas, who was hired to be the man to undo Thurgood Marshall's work, he was hired to be a Supreme Court justice by a president who opposed 
1964 Civil Rights Act. All of these events do interlock, believe me. And Ms. Thomas repeatedly pressed Mark Meadows, while he was Donald Trump's third White House Chief of Staff, to pursue nonstop efforts to throw out the 2020 presidential election. And her urgent text exchanges leading up to in the weeks following the vote have now been obtained by CBS News Chief Election and Campaign Correspondent Robert Costa and Bob Woodward. She was begging Mark Meadows to do anything he could do to overturn the 2020 election by any means necessary while her husband was ruling on cases attempting to overturn the election. We, we haven't seen this level of corruption in our Supreme Court in our lifetimes. Ginny Thomas pushed Sidney Powell's Kraken plan to have a, the election overturned while her husband's sitting there on the court. And of course, Clarence Thomas isn't one to recuse himself when there's a conflict of interest. She's not just the wife of a Supreme Court justice, which is how it's already being spun. She is a huge figure in the conservative legal movement. She's a key patron in this movement. She texted, help this great president stand firm, Mark. You are the leader with him who is standing for America's constitutional governance at the precipice. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. And she typed the word heist because she doesn't know how words work. You know, listen, thoughts and prayers for Clarence Thomas. We've been worried, wondering why he's been so sick and was only supposed to be gone in the hospital for a couple of days. Doesn't have COVID, has flu-like symptoms, but I don't know. I'm not a conspiratorial person. I just make fun of them. But he got sick a few days before these very conspiratorial text messages came out. She was all in on every conspiracy theory. There's 29 total messages the committee has. And it shows an incredible pipeline between Jenny Thomas and Donald Trump's right hand during the period where Trump and his allies were lying nonstop and promising to go to the Supreme Court. Remember, Donald Trump was furious at Gorsuch, furious at Amy Coney Barrett, furious at Brett Kavanaugh for not going along with his corrupt scheme. Now, you know, look. You can't. Clarence Thomas isn't responsible for the behavior of his family members, and that, that's true. But are you crazy enough to think that Ginny Thomas wasn't discussing all of this with her incredibly right-wing husband? Again, Clarence Thomas was the only no vote in an eight-to-one decision to allow the release of Trump's January 6th documents. These were the documents that showed they had a plan to order the military to steal voting machines. And now these texts show that this man who stood up for Trump on that day, that his wife was encouraging Trump to steal the office. (laughs) Clarence Thomas must be impeached. The messages don't directly reference Justice Thomas, although she does keep talking about uh, her best friend. I talked to my best friend. I will talk to my best friend. And Clarence and Ginny, like the crazy loves that kids they are, they always call each other their best friend in interviews. Um, Among her goals was to get Sidney Powell noted lunatic who promoted these insane unsupported claims about the election to become the lead and the face of Trump's legal team. You know, this is just to take a sidestep. This movement is still going. I make it a habit to ask every Donald Trump supporter that calls the show or that engages me where Barack Obama was born. I recommend you do it. It's not a litmus test. It's a shortcut. You'll find out if you ask any Trumper you meet, where was Barack Obama born? Whether they value Donald Trump's racism and lies over objective fact, because there is no doubt 
about where Barack Obama was born. There was never a debate about where Barack Obama was born. There were racist lies and smears with no evidence, but never a doubt. And there has never been a doubt or a debate that Joe Biden is the lawfully elected president. Uh, over 60 court cases were thrown out, some with extreme prejudice. The Arizona recount gave Biden even more votes. They produced no evidence to support their claims. And Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is a friend of this show. We were honored to have him in our studio. And, and this shows that the new question we've got to ask, and Sheldon does it, is, um, is Joe Biden the lawfully elected president of the U.S.? We have to ask it. I asked it to our friend, whatever. It was Rob, Rob the racist from Orlando. I never remember his name. I'm so sorry, you, racist. You, you, you get nebulous and you all blend into one amorphous guy who's just sitting at a computer with a huge belly that he has to move to fondle himself while he watches George Floyd footage. Because, um, hey. no, that's what they do. You know that. They have to move it to reach down. Uh, so Sheldon Whitehouse was just um, today... Uh, at the at the hearings for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, she wasn't there, but they were bringing in people to talk about how great she is or how awful she is. <laughs> American Bar Association, big fans. The Attorney General of Alabama, not so much. The Attorney General of Alabama, Steve Marshall, he flew all the way up to D.C. just to say, don't let this black woman be on the Supreme Court. And Sheldon Whitehouse decided to take a little time out of this exchange to ask Attorney General Steve Marshall if Joe Biden is the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the U.S., I want you to hear how he responded. Again, this is the question you've got to ask now. <laughs> Next to, was Obama born here? You've got to ask, is Joe Biden the lawfully serving president? Give a listen. Is Joseph R. Biden of Delaware the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the United States of America? He is the president of this country. Is he the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the United States? He is the president of our country. Are you answering that, omitting the language duly elected and lawfully serving purposefully? I'm answering the question, he is the president of the United States. And you have no view as to whether he was duly elected or is lawfully serving? I'm telling you he's the president of the United States. No further questions. Is... Joseph. That's how it is. That's how it works. That's how these racists are operating. That's how these fascists are operating. They won't come out and actually say that Joe Biden is the president because, once again, like with birtherism, they value Donald Trump's lies over objective truth. And we're looking now at the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice telling Donald Trump's chief of staff that Joe Biden and his family would face military tribunals at Guantanamo for ballot fraud. So marrying Clarence Thomas, it turns out, is not the most insane thing she's ever said. On November 19th, she said, Sounds like Sydney and her team are getting inundated with evidence of fraud. Make a plan. Release the Kraken. <laughs> and save us from the left taking America down. I ironically, release the Kraken is Ginny's secret code word to her husband that it's time for hot sex. Um, so anyway, Ginny Thomas and the White House chief of staff tried to overturn a free election while her husband sat on the highest court of the land doing anything he could to help them overturn it. This is corruption at the highest levels of government.
These messages were part of 2,320 text messages that Mark Meadows gave the House Select Committee investigating. I'm sorry, the re- <laughs> at least the Kraken joke is still funny. That's the least of the dirty jokes I wanted to tell about her. Um, again, these messages between Ginny Thomas and Mark Meadows, 21 were sent by her, 8 by him, were just reviewed tonight by CBS News and confirmed by five people who've been able to see the committee's documents. So Ginny Thomas is colluding with someone to overturn the results of the election. It's the same Mark Meadows who's under investigation for voter fraud in the 2020 election. And again, Clarence Thomas is in the hospital. We don't know why. We have not been told the reasons why. I mean, you could be excused for feeling like the January 6th committee is leaking it right now while he's away as a way of saying, hey, Clarence, if you want to avoid the future, go ahead. Use your health as an excuse. You can leave any time. I, I said for a while, Clarence Thomas is the oldest and the least healthy Supreme Court justice. Folks, Joe Biden might have another one to a point rather soon if this is the case. You think it should Imagine. be Michelle Childs, right, Chris? Michelle Childs, you think? I mean, that would shut Lindsey Graham up. You think it least, would, huh? Or at least he'd have to uh, head back to the Batcave and craft another uh, <laughs> I sat here telling them they should have nominated you. And now that you're actually here, I don't even know why I would trust myself for saying that. Wouldn't it be something if Clarence Thomas was in the hospital because he swallowed something out of a can of Diet Coke? (laughs) You know, it's been so strange. It's been so erratic that he's been gone. They said it's not COVID. It's just a flu symptoms. But he's been in the hospital for several days and they said he was going to be out a couple days ago, and they won't say why he hasn't been released. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that his wife helped organize a coup attempt about our government, and he abused the office to try and cover it up. But that's where it looks right now. He could be the second Supreme Court justice to ever get impeached. He could have charges brought against him. But that's only if we had an attorney general. Because, (laughs) folks, we've got Donald Trump on tape committing voter fraud committing election fraud with a Georgia attorney general. I just want to find 11,780 votes. There it is. There's the fraud you need right there. Donald Trump didn't say, I just want you to count every vote, make sure every vote's counted. No, he just wanted to find 11,780, which would then put him ahead of Biden in that state. And as of now, two years later, there is no federal investigation into this that we know of. The Georgia DA will let us know probably around Christmas time if they're going to charge him two years after it's committed. So is the villain here Ginny Thomas? Is the villain here Mark Meadows? Is the villain here Donald Trump? Or is the villain someone who was supposed to be a Supreme Court justice, just like Clarence Thomas, but was denied that chance and became an attorney general? And now, two years on, is not pursuing this in any way that we can see. Seldom have I been so hoping to be proven wrong. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Corey Bretschneider is the professor with a PhD in politics from Princeton, a law degree from Stanford, and uses them to fight crime in the minds of students in the poli-sci department is Brown. You have read his great analysis in the New York Times and Time magazine. You should get his book, The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It is a brilliant read, and you will not be sorry. Also, check out his Penguin Liberty series on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases. Professor Bretschneider, welcome back. Uh, thanks, John. Looking forward to the discussion. I'm really glad to have you. Um, today, of course, was the fourth and final confirmation hearing for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court. Today was mainly testimony from outside witnesses who could speak to her fitness to serve on the high court. One of the questions that we keep getting back to uh, when Republicans aren't attacking her is they really want to know her judicial philosophy. It seems like we're just teetering back and forth between hearing while well, she's incredibly mainstream, incredibly mainstream, and she also won't tell anyone what her philosophy is. Uh, <laughs> why do you think we're hearing this question asked so much, Professor? Uh, I should say that, you know, in the midst of just a lot of the craziness that, that we were talking about, there really was, I thought, a few moments, there were a few moments where we could really tell how she thinks about the Constitution. And, you know, this is going to get a little wonky, but our, our episodes uh, do that. I mean, the the real debate on the Supreme Court, the thing that divides the liberals and conservatives is really over the question of how to read the Constitution. They disagree about abortion, gay rights, whether those things are in the Constitution. But the deeper thing that they disagree about is, is what is this thing in the first place? How are you supposed to read the words? And what conservatives love to say is that the true way to read the Constitution is the way that it was originally understood. The text, as it was understood in the 18th century, uh, when the Bill of Rights and the original Constitution were passed, those provisions, we look to history as, as a guide. And that's the only true way to do it. And what you saw from this nominee was that that's a complete lie, that this one singular method is the only way to do it. She said, I care about the text, too. But she gave an idea of the text, not as this rigid, narrow thing that has no rights in, in it, but an idea of if you read it correctly, you see that it's all about liberty. And she didn't come out and say, this is how I would defend Roe versus Wade. She did talk about it as a fundamental uh, right under the Constitution. But you could see that, that, you know, without this anemic idea called originalism, that I think she's going to be a robust defender of liberty. But she didn't do it in the way that conservatives love to caricature liberals as if they're mm -hmm. just making up their own policy positions. And she was really careful throughout the whole hearing to make it clear that, as she puts it, she stays in her lane. She looks to the text in order to figure out um, what what the kind of fundamental underlying principles of the Constitution are. And, uh, you know, I thought it was an artful performance. If you really do this stuff professionally as I do or teach it, it, it was a masterclass in how to think about the Constitution without this, uh, I keep saying, anemic, narrow understanding that would really eviscerate all our fundamental rights. It was also, to me, a masterclass in how brilliant women in the workplace have to suffer the slings and arrows of low-wattage, mediocre men. I mean, I, <laughs> just on a personal note, I could, yeah. I, I'm every woman who has ever had to stand in an office and have the boss's idiot nephew opine to me and pretend I care. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of mansplaining going Ooh. on of the worst kind. Um, a lot of just trying, you know, crazy gotcha questions. Uh, but, I mean, the, the best was the mansplaining. I thought the worst, actually, was a woman woman-splaining, um, more the Blackburn from uh, Senator, uh, just making stuff up. I mean, that, that was just such a, a moment for the Times. 
accusing her of being a defender of critical race theory, of being a defender of, um, uh, you know, basically trying to abuse the fact that she was a, a defense lawyer to suggest oh, yeah. that somehow she's pro-criminal. Uh, no evidence for any of these wild claims. So, yeah, it was, it was atrocious watching the other the Republican side. <laughs> back, okay, to Corey, that I no, no ability. I, I have to process uh, some rage with you, Professor, and maybe you could yeah. help me with this. I don't have a lot of outlets for my rage. Normally, you know, I'm I'm just the guy screaming in the Hardy's parking lot. That's me. But um, what am I am I right to get enraged whenever I hear these conservative senators talk about original intent constitutionalists or originalists? Because if 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 we were originalists, wouldn't that mean Judge Jackson was only three fifths of a judge? Yeah, I mean, they have an answer to that. They say, well, you're supposed to read the 18th century version of the Constitution the way that it was uh, originally understood. Or um, They tend to not talk about intention anymore because they've realized there are so many different intentions that that's yeah. a non-starter. But the Equal <laughs> Protection Clause, I think they would say, that, and the post-Civil War amendments, we have to read those, too, the way they were originally understood in the, in the 19th century after the Civil War. So it's not that they somehow want to defend a pro-slavery constitution. They do have an answer to that. But they just reduce it to, to nothing. I mean, that's the problem, the way that they read it with, the, you know, I keep calling this narrow or anemic interpretation. So when they read the Equal Protection Clause, they think somehow that we shouldn't take race into account at all, that we should be colorblind. And they kind of <laughs> abuse a language of a great Justice Harlan who, who did use that word at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I can't believe I know that this uh, this nominee would would not view things in such a narrow way. But that is the issue in the case that she says, unfortunately, she's going to recuse herself from the, the affirmative action the Harvard case. case. Yeah, the Harvard case. Uh, they're going to try to say, I think, in a completely absurd way, that not only the Equal Protection Clause, but the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which was explicitly about rectification, about affirmative action, should You're also right. be colorblind and is inconsistent with affirmative action. So it's just a real disingenuousness um, uh, claiming to be originalist. But I think w one way to understand what she was doing is rather than saying, I reject your theory, she was saying, look, I'll do you one better. When I re read the words equal protection and when I look at the history of why those words were, were, were written the way they were, so blunt, talking about persons too, not, not citizens, it's because the framers wanted of that amendment of the 14th Amendment in the 19th century, wanted a broad protection, wanted a, 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 to fight subordination of, of the kind that came from slavery and the remnants of there. So she's really in a group, and I'm sympathetic to this, to, to try to challenge the originalists when they say that they're talking about the text of the Constitution and to say, yeah. no, that's not what you're doing. You're, 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 you're trying to reread it in a way that takes out all the ideas, all the values. Uh, okay, then in that case, uh, am I wrong to be filled with a nuclear blast furnace of rage when I hear these Republicans talk about how they need to know that she uh, is not beholden to any political biases, that she doesn't have her own policy preferences, that she's just a sponge who only cares about the law, when every single Republican nominee to the court must first be rubber-stamped by the Federalist Society? I mean, I can't believe that we don't hear more about the Federalist Society from the Democrats in these hearings, considering no Republican in my lifetime has actually nominated a Supreme Court uh, nominee. They've had the Federalist Society tell them 
who they're going to nominate. And that was especially true during Trump when uh, Leonard Leo left the uh, Federal Society formally to actually go into the White House and choose these nominees. And Leonard Leo is, you know, not a scholar. He is a, uh, look, let's be blunt about it, a, a political hack who is uh, looking for certain outcomes to overturn Roe versus Wade, I think, to reverse gay rights. And yet using this language that I keep, you know, that I that, that is called originalism as a mask. And he looked for nominees that were going to do that. And he found, you know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who is not a scholar, is also a, a kind of the worst political operative. Uh, and, you know, it's it, it is, I think, become almost a joke that you would use this language of the text and the original meaning to try to uh, bring on board people who are going to enact your policy preferences. And yet at the same time, right. they're, of course, accusing the other side of that, including this nominee. But you, I think listening to her, you know, I do believe her when she said that she's, uh, uh, you know, playing her role as a judge and staying in her lane and thinking about the value of the too. Constitution, uh, looking at the, uh, you know, statutes passed by Congress when that's relevant. I think that she'll do everything that originalists claim uh, that, that they're doing. My guest is Brown University political science professor Corey Brettschneider. Um, as expected, our Republican friends tried to attack her for being a defense lawyer. We know they're not actual fans of the Constitution. And um, <laughs> to me, after they've drilled into us how great it was for John Adams to show up for the freaking Boston Massacre and defend those Brits, they can't tolerate her doing it. How did you feel she handled this grotesque hypocrisy? Um, I thought she was great. You know, in particular, the question came out. You know, I knew that this was coming I, and I predicted it uh, uh, last time we spoke that when the question came up about her defending a detainee at Guantanamo Bay, the accusation, of course, was that she's, you know, soft on terrorism. <laughs> and she she just ripped into uh. that and said, look, this is the idea of our system, that everybody's entitled to a defense. And somehow, if you think that uh, defending someone to the best of my ability, especially somebody on Guantanamo Bay, where we now know how how sh shady these cases often were. Mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly when the system guarantees due process. You can't pretend to care about the Constitution and hold the view that a defense lawyer who's actually using the Bill of Rights as they were originally intended, and as that text says plainly what it means, uh, to defend the rights of, of criminal defendants, you can't attack them as somehow a defender of terrorism or anti-constitutional. That's the essence of the Constitution. That's I'm channeling what she said, and I just thought yeah. it was brilliant. I thought so, too. I, I, I really enjoyed the the hearings, Corey, what I've been saying all week and talking about with listeners and spokes is um, it really showed the best and the worst of what our country has to offer. She was just such a great example of the best parts of our legal system and, you know, searching for justice, being a public defender. And then we got to see the privileged dying embers of 20th century white male supremacy and all its mediocrity and splendor, uh, just trying to drag her down for no real point. I mean, it was so shocking to see people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Lindsey Graham decide that since she's probably going to sail through to a confirmation, let's just turn this whole thing into a QAnon rodeo and focus on <laughs> pedophilia and critical race theory and pedophilia and critical race theory and get those sound bites about pedophilia and critical race theory onto Fox News as much as we can tonight. Yeah, it was really a, a sign 
of how terrible the times were. This had nothing to do with her, of course. They could have been saying that to any nominee. But they were with the critical race theory uh, line of questioning. I, I just Let's call it what it was. I mean, why are they bringing that up? They're not going to bring that up in the same way to a white nominee. It was clearly because she's black, even though she's got no yep. record of really saying much about critical race theory. I think at one point she called it interesting or something like that. But, you know, it, it, it isn't the first time. You, you, I think the, the person who she brings to mind most clearly is Thurgood Marshall. Uh, not, not, of course, because both um, that's the, the Thurgood Marshall, of course, the first uh, black justice. Um, and this uh, uh, Ju- Justice Jackson will be the first uh, black female justice. That's the obvious parallel. But also because uh, both were defense lawyers, both had an idea of the Constitution, a perspective that came from that, that allowed them to bring out um, aspects of what it's like not to be at the top of the system, but but at the bottom. And of course, both having um, uh, you know, lived as black people in the United States experiencing it. And the contrast between Marshall and the segregationists that he stood against in case after case where he was a defense lawyer, where he was arguing later on, Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, and then, you know, on the court, um, uh, in, in politics, and uh, the, as Solicitor General in the Johnson administration, he was also facing off up against uh, blatant white supremacists and segregationists. And that's what you're seeing now, too. I think the parallels are really striking. And, you know, we know how, uh, in hindsight, who history will look kindly upon and who history will not. <laughs> in our final minutes, Corey, um, I don't want to be too optimistic, but there seems to be the ghost of an outside chance that this could be a 5-4 conservative majority, potentially very soon, if... Uh, someone can wake up Merrick Garland and let him know about Clarence Thomas's clear, clear conflicts of interest. I mean, I began the show today talking about the revelations of his activist wife behavior right before Clarence Thomas was the lone vote defending Trump's efforts to shield documents in the January 6th committee. I mean, <laughs> Ginny Thomas was lobbying Mark Meadows to overturn the election, and her husband was on the Supreme Court essentially doing the same. I mean, it's amazing. She says at one point in those texts that she had a great conversation with, I think she says her closest or best friend. I think that might be a reference to him. And the more we find out about what she was talking about, what these arguments were, if we start to find out that really Thomas himself was encouraging this or explicitly talking about the need to overturn a Democratic election, I mean, that is historic, that the person who would have judged the case uh, was hoping for a case about whether or not these fraudulent efforts were valid or not, uh, was actively working to do that. It's not unprecedented. It sounds to me like Samuel Chase lobbying for the Alien Sedition Acts to shut down the opposition party and then being willing to sit on the trials of those who were uh, accused and, and convicted of criticizing the president and, and, and an attempt to shut down an opposition party. That's the equivalent of what, what's going on here. Whether or not there are criminal charges to be brought, I'm not sure, because the, the court, for one thing, doesn't set rules that bind itself. It, it, there are ethics rules that bind lower court justices that don't bind the Supreme Court. So the question of whether laws were broken, whether or not there's any way to force this uh, justice off the court is very different from whether or not he acted egregiously. And I, I think it's, it's going to become clear that he, 
He did act egregiously. And will anyone do anything? We've only impeached one Supreme Court justice in history, right, Corey? I mean, will anyone do anything about it? I mean, we have the smoking guns. We've been sitting on this tape of Donald Trump forcing the Georgia Secretary of State to throw out votes for two years. Do Do you have any hope that having impeachable behaviors by Thomas, having this clear conflict of interest could actually lead to anything? I hope so. I mean, look, a lot of the people who brought the impeachments against Donald Trump were facing uh, opposition saying, let's leave this alone. This isn't good politics. And so I think that people like Ted Lieu, like Jimmy Raskin, like uh, David Cicilline, we go on and we remember who those people were who really did speak up when we needed them to, that maybe they will start to uh, to do the right thing here and, and, and bring articles of impeachment against this really out-to-lunch justice that has what threatened our democracy, it looks like, and is involved at minimum with a uh, a spouse who, who was deeply involved in the attempt to subvert our democracy. <laughs> and in fairness, we've only known he was a disgusting human being since about 1989. Uh, Corey Brechtschneider, thank you so much for joining us. What's the best way to keep up with you and your work? Um, you could uh, follow me on Twitter at Brechtschneider C. Uh, and why don't you buy a copy of The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents, and you could That's read all right. about confirmation. You take a page out of this guy's book. A little less you talk, a little more you think. Corey (laughs) Brechtschneider, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One of the senior Manhattan prosecutors who invested investigated Donald Trump believed that Trump was guilty of numerous felony violations and that it was a grave failure of justice to not hold him accountable. That's in his resignation letter. We're talking about Mark Pomerantz, of course, who resigned yesterday. Uh, Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn, another senior prosecutor, resigned last month after Manhattan's new DA, Alvin Bragg, stopped pursuing an indictment of Trump, and we still don't know why. Pomerantz wrote, the team has been investigating Trump, harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes. He did. Uh, And they had planned on charging him with falsifying business records, specifically his annual financial statements, which is a felony in New York State. They say the evidence proves Trump committed multiple felonies, but the DA will not indict. And Chris just told me that the Daily Beast is now reporting the Manhattan DA's office has begun returning evidence (sighs) so karma (laughs) where are you at hiding under the desk somewhere with Merrick Garland 
and where the hell is Merrick Garland is now Satan's drinking game word. Richie in Texas, I can give you 20 seconds to bring us out with a joke. I'm in Texas. I said I was listening to you and Chris and Sia talk. How about Tyler Perry brings back Medea Benjamin to play the role of Lindsey Graham during the Ketanji Brown hearings? Finally, someone's making sense to me. Thank you. Please let me know how I can donate to your nonprofit. <laughs> Thank you so much, Richie. And I, I do endorse, by the way, if Clarence Thomas tragically has to resign from the Supreme Court for health reasons, uh, I do support putting another black woman on the court right away, uh, even if it is Tyler Perry as Medea. Hey, I want to thank all of our guests tonight, Professor Corey Brett-Schneider, our own Thea Harper, the great Chris Hauselt. And by the way, I tried to explain to Lauren Boebert about the Dow, uh, and she thought I was Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> 